Thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, please check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com. You can also search One Cause Church on Facebook and on Twitter. God bless you. Hallelujah. Everybody all right today? Yeah. Praise God. Good to see everyone here. I am excited about what's going on here at One Cause Church. It's funky and fun and glorious at the same time. I don't know how it all works, but God is good. And if God is able. We are able. If God is able. We are able. Now, when it comes to your marriage, if, say it. When it comes to your health, when it comes to your prosperity, when it comes to your boldness to witness, when it comes to you making the right kinds of choices in life, when it comes to you being here every week at church, Amen. <laughs> Tell your neighbor, that's true. That is true. If God is able, we are able. And since he is, then we are. Now, if you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, we're going to look into the second part of our series, Before the Giant. Um, and uh, today, I want to talk to you about a few examples that we can learn throughout the scripture about lions. Remember, David said that I fought the lion and the bear, and this giant is going to be just like him. While you're turning there, I've got some funny things to read to you this morning. They actually, I, I'm not, I, they actually are funny. The following questions from lawyers were taken from official records nationwide. And these are some of the questions that lawyers asked. Was, the, was that the same nose you broke as a child? Now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, in most cases, he just passes quietly away and doesn't know anything about it until the next morning? <laughs> Question, what happened then? He told me, he says, I have to kill you because you can identify me. Did he kill you? Hmm. Okay. Was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? <laughs> These are our lawyers. <laughs> the youngest son, the 20-year-old, how old is he? <laughs> Were you alone or by yourself? <laughs> how long have you been a French-Canadian? <laughs> Do you have children or anything of that kind? I show you exhibit three and ask if you recognize that picture. Answer, that's me. Question, were you present when that picture was taken? <laughs> Can you handle a couple of more? Yes. Question, she had three children, right? Answer, yes. How many were boys? None. Were there girls? <laughs> okay, I'll quit torturing you. All right. Last week, when we jumped into this series, um, we looked over some David's life and his, his approach to the giant, how he, how he came to this place, 
and how he was prepared to beat the giant. Um, if you are, uh, if you have the YouVersion app on your phone or your iPad or whatever electronic device you have, you can go there and search One Cause Church, and, you, and uh, I have some notes for you to follow by today. All right? So I don't want to just give you a, just a preview of what we talked about last week a little bit. Never underestimate the importance of where you are and what you do. Can I get a good amen? amen. Never underestimate the importance of where you are and what you do. Right now, where you are, God is with you. And because he's with you, then he can do extraordinary things through you and in you and to you right where you are. Never underestimate how important that is. All right? Number two, this is what David did. See, he had these sheep on the back of the desert. And he deemed that job very important. Number two, take ownership of that which you are responsible. David, even though he was watching another man's sheep, his father's sheep, he took ownership of those sheep. He even put his own life on the line proving that he was willing to do whatever it takes to keep the sheep. All right? And you're going to find yourself, when you're on your job, you'll be tempted to think, well, I don't, I don't own this business. Why should I care? Hmm? But see, somebody has entrusted you to be in the place that you are, given you the job, pay you the check, then you take ownership. Take own ownership of the responsibility you have, and you watch God, what he will do in your life in that experience. Amen? Number three, develop your skill. Develop your skill along the way. And we talked about this, what your skill is. And Pastor Brandon, I love the way that he has shared this with us and that he said that what is natural to you, what you're you naturally good at, other people recognize, and that's probably the most important thing in your life that God's called you to do. And so you can begin to develop that skill, develop your skill along the way. See, David, as he's watching those father's sheep, don't you know he's practicing with that sling and stone? Prepare. He had no idea, I'm sure, that he would face a day where he would, he would take down the giant, the champion of the Philistines, but yet he developed it, ready, ready when the time came to use it. And number four, trust the Lord to lead you. David knew that God was with him all along, and he trusted God guidance every way. As a matter of fact, he said, he trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Number five, remember the cause. Remember why you're doing it. There are people all around you today, right now, that are in need. All right? And you know what? One of the greatest ways to meet your need is to meet others' needs. Amen. And number six, take courage. The king, all of his older brothers, as a matter of fact, the entire army became afraid of this giant. They all took fear, but this young boy took courage. And God will do marvelous things for you in the middle, in the middle of that fear-producing atmosphere if you'll take courage because right along with that opportunity to fear is definitely the opportunity to take courage. All right? Now, let's get some new things into you today. Today, we're going to talk about the lion of compromise, the lion of crisis, the lion of contradiction, and the lion of condemnation. We're going to look at a few examples of lions in the scripture. We learn these, and Judges chapter 14 takes us to this first one, the lion of compromise. We see the story of Samson. It says, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. That's scary, isn't it? Verse 6, <clears throat> and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. Though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father and mother what he had done. So somewhere along the way, Samson separated from his mom and dad and went down to the vineyards of Tim, Timnah. And I'll tell you why that was a compromise. 
Because Samson, from his birth, actually before his birth, the angel of the Lord had visited his mother and told her that he was going to live according to the Nazarite vow. Now, a Nazarite vow was something that people did in stages in life, maybe for a month or a, a predetermined amount of time. But Samson was to be a, keep this vow all of his life. And so he began to instruct this angel, instructed his mother what she was to do, her part, to prepare for that to happen. And three main things about that Nazarite vow had to be accomplished. Now, there were a few other things, but there are three main thoughts to the Nazarite vow. Number one, to not drink wine or anything from a vine, all right? Wine or grape juice, anything that was taken from the, he could not partake of that. Number two was he couldn't cut his hair. And number three that he was to never touch anything dead, couldn't touch a dead body, all right? Those are the three main things. So Samson is born, and so they didn't cut his hair. And they, but here, what's interesting is he goes down to Timnah. Now, Timnah is where um, there are Philistines, all right? Israel's one of their greatest enemies of all time, and he's there flirting with the Philistine girls. And he comes home and tells Dad about this girl that has caught his attention, Caught his eye. And so his dad says, you tell him nobody here in Israel is attracted to you. And so, but the Lord used this opportunity. He took opportunity to use this opportunity to, to wage war on the Philistines. So the dad went, dad mom went with him to Timnah to meet this girl. And along the way, somewhere they separated. And Samson found himself where? In the vineyard. Now, why in the world is this man who's supposed to not have anything to do with any, any fruit from a vine, why is he in the vineyard? Everybody say compromise. Compromise. Now, let me give you the definition of compromise just in case any of you have forgotten what that means. It means weaken a reputation or principle by accepting standards that are lower than is desirable. To bring into disrepute or danger by indiscreet, foolish, or reckless behavior. Let's not be too hard on Samson. I think we've all found ourselves there before, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You found yourself in places. You've allowed yourself to think thoughts. You've allowed yourself to say things that compromised your standard, compromised God's standard for your life. One of the most stellar institutions in the United States, known as the Secret Service, are in trouble today. Because of compromise. Two days before the president showed up to Columbia, they had put themselves in the position of not only endangering themselves, but possibly endangering the life of the president of the United States. Now, as far as I'm concerned, that's unacceptable. Any Americans here today? Huh? And as far as God's concerned, and as far as his word's concerned, it's unacceptable for you and I. Because, see, he sees us way better than we see ourselves. He holds us in high regard because he holds his son in high regard. And when you're in him, you're the best of the best. You're the elite of the elite. Amen. Compromise is this. See, this thing, compromise will, it's a, will, will lull you to sleep. It will... It's a, it, it's, it waits patiently. This lion waits patiently. 
It lets you get comfortable with a new border in your life. You've lowered your standard. You've allowed yourself to come to a place, and it just lurks and waits, waits to pounce on you. And when you get comfortable where you are, and when you've made all the justifications in your head why it's okay for you to be where you are, hmm? why it's okay for you to do whatever you're doing at that moment, then you set yourself up for an attack. This young lion came out of nowhere, and it came roaring at him, right? Now, here's the thing about the hand of God and the mercy of God. Because God's plan to thwart the Philistines was in place, thank God, his plan was greater than Samson's weakness. And God's plan for your life is greater than your weakness. All right? And thank God that he's merciful. Thank God that he is gracious to us. But listen to me. This is not how we treat our relationship with God, do it, and ask for forgiveness later. Right? Are you hearing me? Grace is not there to just catch you. It's not there to just be a net for you when you fall into sin. Grace is there to teach you how to live above that. As a matter of fact, it is the cure to the sin sickness. It is. It is the cure. You sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. See what I mean? Under grace. But the moment you start to compromise, you, you, you step outside of that flow of grace in your life that God has for you so readily and so abundantly, but when you choose not to receive from it, then you set yourself up to be a prey to whatever happens out here, to the things of this world, to the devil, to the flesh. Amen? So if Samson finds himself here, and I think this is kind of humorous that it says that he tore the young line apart as one does a young goat. Like that is an everyday occurrence. Well, I couldn't picture it at first until you said, oh, like, you know, like when you tear a young goat apart. Oh, yeah. The Bible's awesome, isn't it? How it made that connection, I don't know. Anyway. Listen, when you accept that new place, that, that, uh, that standard, when you adapt to that good enough mentality, then all of a sudden, roar! Huh? And you'll see that what this did for Samson, when he took that step of compromise and went to the Valley of Timnah, the very next thing we see him doing is coming back after some time and seeing the lion's carcass. He goes back there. See, that's what compromise does. It keeps you pushing the edge all the time, pushing the envelope all the time, seeing what you can get away with, right? Remember we talked about this before. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable, which means that just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. All right? And so he finds himself out there on the edge again. He sees that carcass, and the Bible says he reaches in there and takes honey from it, right? Number two, he touched the dead body, right? And this life of compromise continued in Samson's life until it ultimately destroyed his life. And he found himself giving away the secret of his long hair lying in the lap of Delilah. Sin takes you further than you wanted to stray. It keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and it costs you more than you wanted to pay. Compromise. It is a lion 
that you must destroy. Number two, turn to Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen. Y'all don't get too quiet on me. Help me here today. Amen. Everybody say crisis. Crisis. This is someone who is expecting the worst. Expecting the worst to happen. Right? Looking for the evil. Looking for the bad. Looking for where it's going to turn wrong. And happy to talk about it. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. The lazy man says, yikes. There's a lion outside. I'll be slain in the streets. That's why I can't go get a job. Something is bound to go wrong, right? So the lazy man does nothing about it. See, it's laziness to expect evil. It's laziness on your part as a Christian to just accept, just accept that things could go wrong, to get it into your mentality and your life that, well, what will be will be. Okay, sarah, sarah. It is what it is. Everything happens for a reason. Right? This is the way of, this is the philosophy of the world. And we buy into this all the time. Because we choose the easy way out. Amen. Amen. Tell your neighbor, I think he's talking to you today. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, this guy lives his life from crisis to crisis, right? This lion will keep you in the house. This lion will keep you from trying. This lion will keep you from trying again. This lion will cause you to give up way too soon. This lion says things like it's somebody else's fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault. It's the blacks' fault. It's the Mexicans' fault. It's the whites' fault. It's the men's fault. It's the women's fault. Somebody else but me. Right? The lion says it's someone else's fault. It makes you believe that you are the exception to the rule. That's the ugliness about this, is that it secludes you to make you think that you are the exception to the rule and nobody else could possibly understand the kind of trouble that you are facing today. Nobody. Nobody knows. The trouble I've seen, nobody knows but Jesus. See, they say things like, no one understands or nobody has gone through what I've gone through. See, these hurts and the difficulties and the disappointments. Now, I'm not here to make fun of anybody. I'm here to help you. All right, I love you and I want to help you today. Now, this has been the... Your life at this point, you can change that today. Yeah. Amen. I want to help you to look up. Up. Yeah. Bring your life up. Out of that miry pit. Out of that dark thinking. These disappointments, fear, bad experiences, failures. Listen, all of these define this person's life who has fallen prey to this lion called crisis. And their whole life is marked from crisis to crisis to 
crisis. If they were coming out of a crisis, they're either coming into one. Right? Huh? It's defined by this cycle of trouble. And so as a result, they put no guard on their tongue. And remember what the Bible says about your tongue? That it guides your life. And that what you are talking about, if you talk about it long enough, you will experience what you're talking about. Now, you might have found yourself in a place because you talked yourself into it today. I got good news for you, though. You can just start saying something new. Start speaking a new thing over your life. Start saying something new about your future today. Amen. There is a way out. There is a way out. Amen. If God is able, now you got to hear this. Amplified Bible of Proverbs 15, 15 says, All the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings or evil forebodings. That is talking about the evil that's coming. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast, regardless of circumstances. That is that he set his life in a position that circumstances do not sway what he, who he is and what he says and what he does. He's living by a whole other reality. Now, let me, let me read this other one to you because we just talked about the tongue. 1 Peter 3.10, the Amplified says, it, says it's so good. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. For let him who wants to enjoy life. Anybody in here want to enjoy your life? Yeah. Say, that, say, that's me, real loud. All right. And see good days. All right. So you want to enjoy life. You want to see good days. Good whether apparent or not. Keep his tongue from evil and his lips from guile. That is treachery and deceit. What that is telling you is if you want to see good days and if you want to enjoy life, you're going to have to start talking that way. Mm-hmm. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So don't let this line just wreak havoc in your life. Expect good and declare good. The spirit of faith is, I believe, therefore I speak. Faith comes by hearing and it is released by speaking. Amen. That power is in your, dec- your declaration. Now, I want to give, some, give you a 911 scripture. All right? Before you dial 911, dial this one. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. All right? I'm telling you, I, I know what that mentality is like. I had, a, I had a friend years ago. We both sat in the same church, heard the same message over and over again. And I'm not here to put anybody down. I'm just telling you, he had something in his mind but from a child, and he just, he just would not renew it to the Word of God. And it seemed like every time that I talked to him on the phone, he was at the emergency room. Well, so-and-so's sick. I had these three kids. Well, so-and-so's sick. So, I mean, how, first of all, how do you even afford that? But, I mean, it's like all the time. What did you do last night? Well, we were at the emergency room. I'm like, do you live there? Is there always an emergency going on in your life? It's like just anticipating, Right? Just come to depend on. I got that phone ready. I'm going to need an ambulance. I'm positive of it somewhere down the road. Be ready for it. All right? Hebrews 9, 11. Let's dial this one. But Christ came as high priest of what? Good things what? To come. To come. As long as the son of the living God 
Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, you absolutely can expect and put a demand on good things coming into your life. Mm, Well, that's good. That was a lot better preaching than that was amen but I'll let you go because we got to keep moving. Let's look at this number three here. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Everybody say contradiction. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out where? After it and struck it. Everybody say contradiction. And I delivered the lamb from its mouth and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and I struck and killed it. If you're going to beat the contradictions in your life, you have to fight. You have to fight. You have to fight. Well, Pastor, my wife is my contradiction. (laughs) Nice try, buddy. Listen, David was, listen. We know why Samuel found some trouble, don't we? Why? Because he compromised. We know why people that have this crisis mentality find crisis because that's what they're looking for. But here's David. He's out doing what he's supposed to be doing. He isn't hurting anybody. He's not out doing the wrong thing. This guy is doing his job. What did he do wrong to deserve this? He has a lion come out against him. He even has a bear come out against him. Now, see, here's the problem with that. We have trouble coming to our lives, and we're not necessarily doing anything wrong. We're not in some sin habit or whatever. So it comes, it comes, the contradiction comes, the contradiction that is to the Word of God, what God has promised you, that contradiction comes against life and everything that produces life. Are you hearing me? That contradiction comes, so then we at times, if we're not careful, then we will get, let that contradiction get inside of us. Rather than at that moment fighting because we see the enemy clearly, because we know the word of God and we, we choose not to say the word of God, then we, allow, then we start asking questions. Come on, we all do this. And a lot of times the trouble that comes, either we'll begin to judge ourselves or we'll see somebody else in trouble and we'll start judging them. We'll wonder what they were doing. Hmm? What did they do to bring that on in their life? They might have not been doing anything. Because we live in a world, ladies and gentlemen, where there is trouble. Jesus said, there, don't be alarmed by this. In the world, you have trouble. In the world, you will have trouble. On your good days and on your bad days, it's still coming. Right? That's a fact. There is trouble out there that's coming. That, that, that is the truth. But as far as your connection to God, there are good things coming to you. He's there to ensure that. But this world, all it can give you is trouble. Eventually, that's what you're going to find here. As long as you live on planet Earth, well, Pastor Eric, I wish it wasn't that way. Well, then you just need to go on to heaven because I don't have anything to tell you. If you don't want that to happen, then you just need to die. That's the only way out. That's life. That's life. That's what we face, right? And that contradiction comes, see, and here's the temptation. Well, what did I do wrong? Or, or, or. How come God didn't warn me about this? Or could this be the will of God? See, we allow these contradictions to begin to swirl around in our mind, knowing what the scripture has said. And so then this language begins to come out of us. 
Oh, by his stripes I am healed. Two more steps down the road. I wonder when God is going to go ahead and just heal me. Contradiction. Contradiction. This is where, this is where the good people get into trouble. Right here. This is where the good people get in trouble. Hmm? And knowing that Jesus took those stripes upon his back, the very same afternoon that he paid for our sin, he paid for our healing. For us to ever come to the place in our life that we allow a contradiction to that, to change our mind, what a shame that is. What a shame that when God opened up Jesus to us, he opened up every good thing to us. And for us to accept anything less than that, what a shame. What a shame that is for the children of God not to be ready to receive everything that God has for us. I love the scripture that says, he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? He will give you anything. Your father is a good father. Your heavenly father is a good father. He desires good for you. He made good for you. Hallelujah. Just don't accept anything else. When that contradiction comes, you're going to have to get the word of God in your mouth and fight that contradiction. Now listen to me. There are times when you, I mean, the moment you quote the word of God, the headache gets worse. The symptoms come on stronger. That's not the time to quit and go, oh, well, I must be fighting God. No, that's time to, to, to dig your heels in and continue to confess. It might be an all-day war. It might be a month-long war. It might be a year-long war. But if you will fight, you will win. Don't give up. Don't let that contradiction get on the inside of you because James says this, if you do that, then you become somebody that is unstable in all their ways. You stand in two ways. You're a double-minded man if you if you. Say one thing about God, oh, God is good all the time. And then you say something contrary to that, see, then the, the scripture says, this is a warning for us. Let not that person expect to receive anything from God. He has to be believed. And you have to have that resolve in your heart that you're going to believe what God says no matter what. Not just believe it with your heart, but confess it with your mouth. Can I get a good Amen. Amen. See, how, how wonderful, how powerful is the scripture? We, we, you, have to, you have to give it the, 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 the credit that it is due. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What that means, what that's telling us is that the scripture, the scripture, hallelujah, has life for every dimension of man. Spirit, soul, body, mind, will, emotions. The word two-edged, I wasn't gonna say it. I didn't have this in my notes. I really feel like somebody needs to hear this today. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged, two-edged sword. That word two-edged in, in, in the Greek means twice spoken. It's sharper than anything that is twice spoken. See, there are, there's an enemy out there that hates you and he has an opinion about you. And he's going to let you hear about it. Hmm? And if you begin to repeat what he's saying, 
then it becomes a twice-spoken word. And a twice-spoken word is one that gets you in trouble. He can say it all day long, but the moment you come into agreement, then you begin to experience its reality for your life. But the Bible says the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. See, this is the most powerful thing on planet Earth, most powerful thing ever, that if you will agree with God and say what God says, hallelujah, then you can experience everything that God has for you, the two-edged, the twice-spoken word. And God can say all he wants to, but if you don't say it, if you don't agree with it, then it will become ineffective in your life. But if you'll use that sword of the Spirit, you'll win that war. Jesus Christ himself, our greatest example, stood in the desert with the devil himself. Now, I'm going to just go ahead and tell all of us, in case we get delusions of grandeur concerning the devil, we've probably not fought the devil himself. He's got these minions called demons that come and bother us, but, but when Jesus was on the earth, the big boy showed up himself. The CEO of the company walked out there in the desert himself and took on Jesus. All right? Stupid, first of all. But he thought he could throw, overthrow God. Right? So he shows up out there, and he begins to question Jesus' character and his per. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to be thrown, uh, turned into bread. But Jesus had been fasting 40 days. Don't you know that that might have been tempting to turn that thing into a little double cheeseburger? Amen. Double. That's the only way to eat a cheeseburger. All right. I need a good amen. Guys, where were you on that one? All right. Anyway, so he has the temptation, right? He says, hey, if you're the Son of God, let's prepare a feast. What did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the devil tempted him by taking him up on a precipice, and he said, hey, cast yourself down. And this is what he does. Then he uses scripture against Jesus. He'll do that. Cast yourself down from here, for it is written, like you said. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. And they will, they will keep you in all your ways so that you will not even dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. See, the devil can give you some half-truths. But see, Jesus knows the whole word because he actually is the word. He said, nice try, devil, pulling that out of context. But you're not a very good Bible quoter, not a very good Bible studier. This is, this is, this is why I don't do that. I don't tempt God. Mm-hmm. That's talking about the moments when that does happen, not by your doing. But when danger's out there lurking, God makes sure to prepare a path of safety for you. This isn't for you to go out on the edge of a cliff and go, let's put that to test, God. Hmm? Don't recommend that. And then, and, then, and then the devil tempted him with all the kingdoms of the world. He said, all the kingdoms, all the, all the, 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 all the thrones, I will give you. I'll give them all to you if you'll bow down yourself and worship me. And then Jesus, again, quotes the word. Now listen, Jesus could have done anything. Don't you know that he could have just put his hand around his neck and popped his head off? He could have snapped his finger and the devil just dissipated into a million pieces. But Jesus on this earth fought. He fought in a way that we can fight. That David Salinas can do that. James can do that. 
Rick can do that. He did something for us that we could all do. Believe in the power of the word. And of all the things he could have fought the devil with, Jesus just simply quoted the word. Contradiction came, quoted the word. Contradiction came, quoted the word. And guess what happened? It worked every time. Finally, the devil threw his hands up and surrendered. Okay. This guy's, this guy's full of the word. He knows the word too well. I'm no match for him. And the truth is, he's no match for you. With the word of God in your mouth, he's no match for you. Are you hearing me? Okay. I'm almost done. Can you handle just a little bit more? This last thing, condemnation. Condemnation. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. That is, he's got a big mouth. Seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in faith, that is, in believing and speaking, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now listen, Revelation 12:10 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Hallelujah. See, he's an accuser. He is a condemner. And the devil wants you looking at yourself and your weakness and your own problems because if you'll do that, then, he'll get, then he will get your eyes off of the real need in this earth. The real reason why you're here is to be blessed, to be a blessing. You get your eyes off on yourself, and it renders you ineffective as a Christian. Yeah. Hmm. When you accept that condemnation, you stop your progress. But Jesus told the woman one time, neither do I condemn you. He said the Son of God had not come in this world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So condemnation doesn't come from God, does it? Matter of fact, it says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So listen, you cannot be judged again for something that you've already been judged for. Yeah. Praise God. Right. And you've already, the judgment's already been made. See, when Jesus Christ was crucified, you were crucified. Yeah. When he died, you died. How are you going to judge a dead man now? How are you going to sentence a dead man? It can't happen. It's already been done. So, now that you are judged by God, you're judged righteous by faith. You're judged free from the law of sin and death by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And with this last thought, I want to help you today to remember the difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is about who you are. Condemnation is about what you do. All right? Conviction, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit of who you are you're condemned by the devil for what you do. Mm-hmm. God doesn't condemn you. He convicts you. But he doesn't convict you of sin. John 16. Let's turn there and we'll finish with this. John 16. <clears throat> and we say things like this. That we're, you know, boy, the Lord convicted me of that sin. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8, and when he has come, that is the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin 
and of righteousness and of judgment. This is powerful. Now, here we go. He's going to break it down for us. Of sin because they what? So who is being convicted of sin? Unbelievers. Non-believers. Of sin because they do not believe in me. The number one sin, the number one sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of is unbelief. Number one sin. Because everything stems out of unbelief. All the other sins come out of that. So we have to deal with the root of the problem. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now I want you to just say this with me. Say, well, that's talking to me. And here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Because a, a, a new reality has took place when Jesus Christ came to this world concerning you. That is, for he made him to be. Who knew no sin, he became sin. So that you, 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 you could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, don't let that just go over your head. This is a big thought. He became, that is, Jesus became sin, and you became righteousness. He became sin, and you became righteousness. See, this is greater than him giving you then the ability to do righteous things. He didn't become a sinner so that you could be a righteouser. He became sin because that was our condition. Men were not sinners because they were sinning. They were sinners because they were born. Thank you, Adam. Born right into it. It was our condition. It was who we were. But Jesus made this great exchange, and he became what we were so that we could become what he is. Hallelujah. He exchanged his righteousness for our sin. He took it all upon himself. He said, now, I'm not just giving you the ability to go out there and do the right thing. I have made you the right thing so that now you have a whole new nature. You're not who you used to be. All those old things, they are truly passed away. You've become a new creation. You've been born all over again. Hallelujah. You are not who you once were. You are yet again a new thing. Hallelujah. And because you are righteousness, now you do righteous things. It is the fruit of who you are, not something you're trying to do. You're just fruit and righteousness. Hallelujah. Conviction is about who you are, so he's here to convict us of our righteousness. Don't forget the scripture. We talked about this some time ago. Awaken to righteousness. That is, awaken to yourself and do not sin. Sin will fall off of you if you'll keep your mind on what Jesus has done for you. Mm -hmm. Amen. Compromise. Crisis. Contradiction. Condemnation. All of these things must be destroyed. They must, the only, way to, the only way to beat them is to fight them. But the victory is sure. Yeah. Yeah. Say the victory is sure. Say that, the victory is sure. 
Let's close our eyes for just a moment, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm about to let you out of here. Just a couple more minutes here. Once again, thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. We invite you to check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com for upcoming events and information about us. God bless you.